Welcome to The Critique. I'm Dane Caverns, and tonight we're going to be talking about the new production from Carton Cast Industries, Child with a Spaceship. So, are you ever going to come back, Mr. Alien? Does that mean that you'll phone home again? As you can see, there are no subtitles, so what I'm going to give this is two thumbs down. That was absolutely terrible. But they do have another one coming, and this one is... uh, It's... uh, it's uh, one of the more interesting crossovers that I've ever seen, but uh, you know we're gonna we're, we're gonna talk about it. But uh, coming up next is the Blob Father Part Four. Oh, I, I tell you, Garfield, you better come with me and do what I tell you to do, or I'll make you a lasagna. You can't refuse. I can show you horrors the likes of which the world has never seen, and I hate Mondays. The CGI of Marlon Brando was an interesting choice. Having him played by John Goodman was, uh, you know, that's probably the best. But uh, having Garfield be a centipede, that was a really interesting, uh, really interesting development. And, uh, yeah, no, the, the, the Blobfather Part 4, I don't think they should have made two or three. So I'm just going to give this one two thumbs down. And uh, finally, we're going to talk about... The new uh, crossover between the Carton cast and Neil deGrasse Tyson's Hayden Planetarium, Origin of Stardust. And so people think, oh, the world, it's so small, you know, that you get out into space and it fits in your hand. But really, the world just expands ever outward. And Mr. Tyson, wh- take your shirt off. Yeah, I guess I could take my shirt off. So if you look at my abs, you can see those are really, you know, there's six of them all in a row, kind of like our planets. I don't recognize Neptune and neither should you. Uh, any references to the king of the sea, I think, are underwater. Even though Neil deGrasse Tyson looks absolutely scrumptious with his shirt off, I have to say, it stinks. Even in the vacuum of space, where you can't smell anything. In the vacuum of space, no one can hear you. I was going to try doing... No one can (laughs) smell you stink. It's true. I was going to try to do some sort of... uh, uh, Oh, my God. uh, Stephen Stephen Hawking erotic kind of (laughs) play-by-play. Stephen Hawking voice with a Chuck Tingle novel? Something, yeah, something of that. that. Well, just the second I heard Neil deGrasse Tyson and you started doing something serious, I'm like, oh, he's a thirst icon now. So let's just (laughs) lean into that. He's been a lot of icons in the past 10 years, hasn't he? Sure has. Yeah. And gets around. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, how often do, like, scientists, uh, the thirst posters come around? Like, it's, (laughs) it's... Bill Nye and then DeGrasse Tyson, and I don't think we've had any since, right? Mm. Not since, no. It like we have, we've kind of just given up on having. Who's our next one? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, mm-hmm. we've kind of given up on having serious public intellectuals, I guess. But have have either of you seen the Pentaveret? <laughs> no, no. I don't know who the actor is, but uh, the the 
first of all, it's a Mike Myers property, which means that a full third of the characters are Mike Myers yeah. in different <laughs> costumes, which is... Mwah. He actually, like, I'm pretty sure he puts a big Shrek costume on at one point. It's very funny. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, the main scientist in that, in the first couple of episodes, is uh, is is kind of like a key and peel style black guy in a room full of white guy like 60 year old <laughs> illuminati types <laughs> so so he and he is a scientist who's trying to solve global warming so so he would be the next one that's great i love it it's actually yeah. fairly funny if you don't take it seriously <laughs> which you shouldn't because it's mike myers no mm-hmm. and mike myers and mike myers and mike myers yes yeah. the myers pentagram <laughs> yes uh Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cartoncast. My name is Ben. My name is Zane. Hey, it's Dan. <laughs> My name is Dan. <laughs> and this Got is the podcast again. where we review old cartoons to see what we think of them as adults. And today we are joined by Dane Caverns. Hey there. Yay. Hello, fellas. The critique. Long time no see. Long time no be. How have you been? I've been good. I've been good. I've gotten very busy in my life, but uh, very happy to carve out some time to talk to you guys about one of my favorite shows that I wonder if it actually Modified, eh? well I wonder if it uh if it if it uh if other people like it if other people like it and if, if it, other people can like if it. it aged well that's that's something <laughs> we're hilariously we're gonna have know. to talk about this yes <laughs> yeah this is this is the carton cast it's not our fault that we're gonna be talking about 9-11 again uh <laughs> So, uh, before we get into it, because we are going to talk a lot about The Critic, um, Dan Caves, thank you for coming back on the show. You are always welcome here. Thank you very much. Uh, and yeah, I, I know your familiarity with animation fairly well. Um, it did not surprise me that The Critic was near and dear to your heart, but can you tell us a little bit about your familiarity with it? I mean, I grew up on the show. I uh, I watched it when I was young, and as a, f- as, a, as a kid who liked movies, and as an adult who likes movies, it was, mm-hmm. it was really amusing to just see all the different... Um, the show is chock full of very brief, frenetic uh, movie parodies, and... Um, yeah, I don't know. It it just it was a show that really clicked with me as I was a, when I was a younger chap, uh, maybe more of a, a hole than a cavern. Then you know before I had expanded out into a full cavern. Uh, but yeah, this, a Daniel a Daniel hole. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, and uh, you know John Lovitz. I I just can't. I, I anything that he does, I have to see at least once, and that was that was yeah. ultimately it. And, gotcha. But yeah, th- I love was, that voice. It's so. Mm-hmm inimitable yeah absolutely but uh i'll be really interested to hear what you you, what you two think about the show because i definitely uh it's it is a product of its time (laughs) indeed it is i imagine that bojack horseman is gonna look a lot like this in 10 years (laughs) (laughs) i Uh, mean maybe less so because this has the uh the, the the unfortunate uh quality of being a snapshot of what film was in the mm-hmm. 90s and like g- going into the 90s but yes Dude, that's yeah the, the field of media criticism through the lens of the critic is so quaint like <laughs> it was so innocent back then where the height of corruption was saying that yeah. a bad movie was good yep 
Yeah. And this <laughs> and we all know how effective this was at dissuading Hollywood from making endless <laughs> terrible sequels. It's it's so weird because all of his film criticism kind of holds up, right? Like nothing's really changed at large. Right. No, yeah. The the whole show is just a framework for John Lovitz to berate, you know, his uh, the 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 film industry mm-hmm. and also maybe himself. <laughs> yeah, he turns that gun on himself more than once. Oh yeah, yeah, plenty, plenty. Uh, but, but yeah, Zing, but... yeah. Tell us about the production history, if you don't mind. Well, what I can say about the critic is that it ran from 1994 to 1995 on ABC and Fox. It was produced by Al Jean and Mike Reese uh, after their work on The Simpsons. And very actually, obvious. <laughs> yeah, the connection's pretty clear. They had an episode on The Simpsons with cross promotion. Mm. It was disavowed by Matt Groening, yeah, famously. Uh, it was broadly <laughs> was not really? seen as one of the best episodes ever. But it had it had some good moments. But they You're were talk- not yeah. John Lovett's focused moments. Ma- Matt Groening it, wanted it was the it was the um, it was the 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 boil the the boil or the. A gummy bear? What was the Yeah, the you're, you're the man who didn't know if he had a pimple or a boil. It, <laughs> it was, was a gummy, gummy bear. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the only thing I remember from that whole episode. That's that's about it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dan, I cut you off. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, because uh, Matt Grenning, uh, Graining, gr- Groening, however you say groining. his name. Groening. Yeah, I always said groining, but who knows how trustworthy that is. Yeah, apparently he wanted nothing to do with the show. Like, he wanted nothing to do with the critic, and he didn't want anyone to, like, confuse whether he was mm-hmm. involved in it or not so yeah he publicly said this is not <laughs> this is terrible it's very this defensive one's not mine, for guys. somebody who's responsible for <laughs> you know <laughs> the home homer you know uh calling in work sick uh joke again <laughs> I, I i don't know how much i would have uh i don't know how much matt groining should be like concerned with his legacy one way or another it's kind of already set in stone yeah yeah after there's a certain amount of content you can be responsible for before you don't really have to worry about the quality of the next one because it's such a drop in the in the bucket yeah like you know i don't know it that's why we keep putting out new episodes (laughs) it's true it's Can't true. make it worse. Yeah, we we peaked on uh, Five Will Goes West, and have just been hanging around in the zombie carton cast for uh, seven years or so. <laughs> um, so in in uh, two thousand, they put out a few webisodes of the critic. Um, these were flash animated, much lower quality animation. I had thought that the shorter format would help. Um, I thought that it might like gear it more toward focusing in on the references, uh, but they really like. They still focused in a lot on uh, the main character's like self-deprecation and um, like personal foibles. Um, so I think they they just that's what they have in mind for this. Yeah, and I don't disagree with that. I think that uh, John Lovitz is a funny enough voice actor for the character of Jay Sherman. I think that the character, the self-deprecating, strangely moral successful public life, miserable private life. I think that there is enough in that character to carry the show, given mm. that they do a bunch of family guy cuts for dumb jokes. I, I almost uh, would have, pre- I mean, in this age, I would prefer pretty much anything to a family guy cut. <laughs> I, I am saturated with that. But uh, I, 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 I think would that prefer watching is... bread slowly rise out in, a, in an oven. And then we cut to watching the bread yes. rise slowly. <laughs> Good evidence. Uh, yeah, I, I think that the character of Jay Sherman is good enough for 
the full 23 minute episodes that we got or i guess uh, were they cut were they like two episodes? no they, no, they, they, were, they, they were, were full, full they were full these boys. were full episodes. yeah full full 22 minute episodes plus commercials so i'll yeah i'll be i'll be real zane i uh i had a very different uh experience with this which is that i actually liked it a lot um i think it does hold up pretty well if you don't mind the fact that all of the, the 90s cultural jokes are very <laughs> very stale but i wasn't looking at the cultural jokes i was looking at the immortal joke of a sad man who's sad <laughs> but who's also just a, doesn't go out of style you guys but who's also a snob and like really thinks highly of himself but he's he, he's yeah, it's, like yeah it's very seinfeld <laughs> i i might have come off it too soon after the whole adam sandler thing because for me <laughs> you know i i something about the ratio was off because like yeah i'm supposed to relate to him and also hold him in admiration and also be glad I'm not him. And also he's written it so that a, a beautiful woman falls in love with him every episode for no reason. And it was just it was just kind of hard to, to parse. It's weirdly self-aggrandizing while at the same time being self-deprecating. And it, yeah, it's, very, very yeah. depressed comedian. It's very mixed. Yeah. And I, I guess it's that immortal comedians are always depressed. You see how many of them like overdose because like something about people whom can because see they the are funny Pagliacci. things. Because everyone, we, we are all the Pagliacci, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, yeah. And, and like you say, in addition to that show where Strange Man in New York, it's also referencing and parodying movies of the time and before. Um, and this was before Meet the Spartans, you guys. <laughs> yeah. Oh, before peak crit, uh, peak satire. You mean? There have been movies that would have fit right in, on oh, yeah. just the, like un unaltered on this show. John Lovitz since. has been telling us Cassandra truths for years. Really. <laughs> I want to see his take on like snakes on a plane, like something where it can't actually be dumber. Yeah, I I still like snakes on a plane. It never lies to you about what it is. <laughs> we all like snakes on a plane. That's not the issue here. <laughs> I can like things that are bad for me. Do do either of you know anything about the person John Lovitz? Do we have a, a catalog on him at all? Like, we only see him parodied in animation, so I don't know mm. what he is like as a person. Well, like, as a person? I mean, he's like a—he he was like an early 90s SNL alum. Like, he's he, he's been around, you know? I'm, I'm familiar with him. Mm. Uh, but, like, the only other thing I can think of, though, off the top of my head— uh, the only other movie that I can think of is um, he was in Rat Race. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, he's got kind of Buscemi face, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he yeah he his his family is going on vacation and they're part of this whole thing and like they end up like stealing Hitler's car. It, it was this crazy thing. <laughs> But. I weirdly remember a like a promotional like I the promote I read weirdly remember a commercial whatever those promotional. Uh, YouTube clips are called, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, an, an, ad, an advertisement, oh, yeah. uh, a commercial for <laughs> Rat Race. And it was like saying each of the participants and their chances of winning the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I didn't prep this ahead of time, but I just looked on Wikipedia for some John Lovitz facts, which I'm not going to pepper in throughout the show. I'm just going to say a couple that I found right here right now. 
great. Perfect. Um, so it looks like he appeared in a $33 million ad campaign um, promoting the Yellow Pages. And this was in, <laughs> okay. this was in 1999. 99? That's okay. really funny. That is incredible. That uh, is so fucking good. One of them featured Lovett saying, the hardest thing to do is to come up with a simple idea that's also great. And I just thought, oh, the alphabet. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. It doesn't uh, make any sense. We have a large uh, 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 subheading just that just says feud with Andy Dick. I think after um, Phil Hartman died, Andy Dick was making jokes about it, and Lovett's like, like beat him. That's fair. Hmm. That's that, fair. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, don't make fun of fucking Phil Hartman. Yeah. yeah. Andy Dick, what are you doing? <laughs> Well, uh, he sounds like a person. <laughs> yeah. He sounds like a person who has been in front of a camera, which yep. has all of the problems and accolades you'd expect. I mean, yeah, 85 to 90, he was on SNL, so he's definitely, like, yeah. He's, These were the pre-Keenan yeah. years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that's the, that's B, BK and AK are how I judge <laughs> SNL. I think I remember, if I'm remembering this correctly, that like that part of the 80s was one of, it's known, or at least that the, there's a period during the 80s that is known for being the worst SNL. I, I That's very strange it. to me. Yeah, like after all the original Not Ready for Primetime players left and they reassembled the with new comedians, they would just, it's no, it's notorious for being terrible. So he might be part of that. So that's, I, I don't want to. I don't think I've ever enjoyed SNL. Yeah. Like, and I was, I was watching SNL with some kind of frequency in like the early 2000s. Yeah. But like, I would only catch snippets of it every so often when it would crack through the, you know, social media barricade, like the, like the, like the David Pumpkins thing. <laughs> like, yeah. I, like whatever, every so often something would be a Halloween costume, and I'd be like, "Oh yeah, SNL still isn't dead." A- SNL translates really well into social media before social media like calcified. Like when there were competitors to YouTube, the SNL clip show website. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that's John Lovitz. He's he's what you think he is. And uh, mm-hmm. he stars in this show as Jay Sherman, the critic. Yeah, uh, I love this character. I think he <laughs> is very fun to watch and to listen to. He's got the aesthetics he down. A, he's a short, schlubby, you know, Billy Crystal type almost. <laughs> Maybe I don't <laughs> want to use that anymore. Uh, <laughs> but he, he's he's a short, schlubby, and yet surprisingly positive kind of defeated New York uh, film industry mainstay. Yeah, he's two-thirds of the way to a danger field. (laughs) He does kind of have a danger field vibe to him. Well, he doesn't get no respect. He does not. Not from anyone. He doesn't deserve the respect, though, does he? He doesn't. Um, Yeah, so a lot of the the plot or episodes or jokes are, are about the that contradiction that you mentioned, where he's successful, but his his craft is not particularly fulfilling. He has, you know, wealthy family, you know, he has, he, he, he's interacting with a lot of high profile celebrities. He's on the up and up, but also he's just, his life kind of lacks substance. I got a real kind of American beauty red door vibe from him. You know what I mean? 
where he like, wants just, to like, sleep with underage women. Where he wants what do you to mean? sleep with? Yeah, she. Uh, she. <laughs> I don't think she was under. Was she underage? I don't remember. The cheerleader. Yeah, that was the point. Yeah. It was one. It was a high school. Yeah, it was like a high school student. Yeah, but she looked like she'd failed a couple of grades. <laughs> I don't think that's the Had right take. <laughs> was that not the right takeaway? That's from the American wrong. Beauty? That is the wrong takeaway. <laughs> I want to watch that again. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um. So uh, wait, what were we talking about? <laughs> it's a little distracting, isn't it? Our it take, our, ta- our takes on oh, Jay yeah, yeah. Sherman. Yeah. The the substancelessness of his life. Yeah. That that's kind of what I mean with the red door thing. Is like so much of his public life is to be this holier than thou, above it all, arbiter of criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, and in his personal life, he is just he is a lot less stern and critical like he's just very kind of pleasant and empathetic i thought i I don't know how you guys kind of kind of heard it but uh he he seems like he's got friends in a way that bojack doesn't he has legitimate real friendships and he's a good dad that yeah that that's excellent so because like when i was comparing this to bojack which is hard not to because bojack is so much about someone in the limelight of high society um hollywood of like the 2010s this, yeah mm-hmm. of the yeah. 2010s and yeah. this is like kind of the same thing but for new york yeah um it, granted in a different part of the industry but it's still kind of in that gigantic apparatus what really struck me is that that multifaceted he is not a terrible person even though he's miserable <laughs> like and that is a weird that's something we don't get in BoJack. All we get is kind of the self-takedown of a person who thinks highly of himself mm-hmm. on and off the court and <laughs> doesn't have a way to show it. So, yeah, I, I love that he's a good dad. He is such a good dad. It's, and he's it's, a good uh, uncle? Is that right? Uh, he, uh, Yeah. And uh, what, also... What, with, with what's-her-face? Um, that's, uh, that's his sister. Margo. So, so yeah. oh, he sister, is adopted... By, into yes. this wealthy family. So he has, like, a sister who's a lot younger than him. Yeah, so it's, I guess it's a... a s- step. What would... What, yeah, step. That's what I'm... That's the word I was looking for. I wasn't sure if that was it, but... Yeah. So <laughs> that, he, that terminology, I think, has been porn-canceled for, uh, <laughs> oh, for most no. of pop culture. Uh, oh, now, God. now they're just ambiguous <laughs> relations, which used to be the term for porn. <laughs> you get to fill in the relationships yourself. We had a yeah, euphemism right. swap. Um, yeah, so... so we do see him in the family context, right? He has a he has a son, he has sister, parents, dad's a little wacky, what are you gonna do? Um I don't <laughs> I, I don't know if I just wasn't watching the episodes where they delved into it. It felt very um like his relationships with his uh family that I saw were typically like either negative or superficial. Like I didn't see a lot of depth and growth there. The parents' relationship is is negative and superficial, but I think that's just to showcase how terrible his mom is. They are wacky, and yeah, his his mother is definitely. Uh, well, I don't know if we want to uh, move on to other characters, but um, yeah, uh, I mean, his, it all mo- revolves around Jay, right? We're talking about the sun, yes. yeah, and so we have exactly. to mention the planets to get a good it's idea. It's the John this Lovett show. We have to look at John Lovett's. For the whole show, the he's solar the interesting character. Is made up of the sun, and also a Take number. Take your of shirt planets. off. <laughs> oh well, okay. If you just <laughs> <laughs> well, like uh, p- partly, it's like Jay has he, he's a good brother, 
And that is kind of to compensate for how wacky the parents are, because, I mean, uh, th- there's yeah, one... Yeah, what else does Margot have? Yeah, yeah. And the one episode where um, uh, it was Margot's debutante ball, and, like... I saw that one. The Yeah, the, the Eleanor, the mother, she is pushy, she is toxic, she mm-hmm. is, uh, like, all these things, and Jay is there as kind of, like, he, he kind of, yeah, he's he's a big support. Uh, for her understanding yeah. that this is a weird family um, and being adopted, especially he's he, I mean, he's uh, it, it, they definitely treat he's him differently. Factor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he's, he's someone that the mom can't control. So he kind of mm-hmm. like is a safe space for Margo, which is, it just felt like a really true kind of relationship they had. Mm-hmm. Like just all the, the whole family together, the parents, the Sherman v. Uh, Margot. You know, like, each of those pairs of, it, of interactions, they all felt, like, real to me. They all th- felt authentic. They didn't feel like they're for jokes. Um, and you said that he also, you know, he also has a son, Marty. I didn't see him that much. Can you describe some of the things that you saw uh, in terms of that relationship? Oh, really? You didn't? Yeah. Yeah, you didn't see much of Marty. <clears throat> Interesting. They would generally just kind of do John Lovett shit that would be more kid friendly. Like uh, he he would. What was one of them? They were playing some sort of like arcade game where they were trying to get through New York City and like kept on getting like accosted by <laughs> getting accosted by like a pixelated Al Sharpton. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing. The jokes of this hit me pretty good. <laughs> like, I, I know enough to understand why that's funny. It's just, uh, it, it is not going to work on people younger than me <laughs> very well. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, you, you know, they, they play arcade games, go to the zoo, uh, go to go get ice cream. You know, just, just kind of general... I, I do like father son adopted like father son weekend kind of stuff. I, I do like in the intro where they go to the zoo and they look over and the pandas look just like them looking back. Like yeah. that's not a joke, yes. but it's very funny. <laughs> it's a visual gag. I think that counts. Yeah. yeah. What I does think it the mean? Panda winks. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. He's he's also got this friend, uh, Australian friend. Who is this? Yeah. So <laughs> that, this is weird. <laughs> This is Jeremy Hawk, a name and a look almost almost perfectly designed to make you think that this is a real celebrity. This is a fictional yeah. person. That's <laughs> so good. Totally fictional person. He's got this like Kirk Douglas kind of face almost. Like yeah. like like back in the day, he's, you know, he's he's got that Australian he's thing. Got, like a long thing. face yeah. sort of thing, yeah. He's like an amalgamation of a bunch of celebrities if you ask me. Like he's part Kirk Douglas, he's part Mel Gibson, he's part I, I don't know, it was is, Ethan Hawke, is that a is that an actor? Uh, that that name yeah. sounds familiar. Yeah. He, yeah. He, he's like your standard blonde leading man, very good with the women, but also legitimately solid friendship between those two. Like they're they're oh, yeah. that they're really like supportive and like really genuine with each other, which you don't see that depicted on shows often. No, no hugging, no learning. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and and like, I did feel like a surprising amount of empathy from this, which is, I guess I'm thinking about it in terms of this came after the Simpsons, 
they had empathy, but it was still kind of in that early 90s era of schmaltzy empathy, wherein, like, the violin music plays and it cuts out on, like, kind of a tender moment. Mm. This is a little bit more upbeat than, you know, a uh, Homer hugging Bart kind of ending. It's it's just a little bit, like, more in the background. Mm-hmm. But it's still there. It's still certainly there. I, I remembered them, like, just kind of shooting the shit and talking to each other, like, looking to each other for advice with some regularity. That is essentially how their relationship works. Although there is one episode, I think it actually, it's one of the first episodes. Um, I think it's the fourth episode, Miserable. It was the one with uh, the obsessed fan that he has uh, an affair with. I don't know if you watched that episode. I didn't see that one. Oh, shoot. Well, uh, in that episode, um, Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke. Wow, now I'm I'm all mixed up now. Uh, Zane, we cannot hear you. Zane, we can't hear you. Jeremy Hawke. I'm How's sorry. That? Right, I, that's better. better. I was wondering why you were just kind of mouthing things. Yeah, yeah I, you, I like to mouth off. <laughs> oh, cool. But yeah, the, uh, that episode, uh, Jeremy Hawk say like he's more active in like saving the day. Uh, but yeah, the episode uh, miserable. It's uh, obviously a send up of misery. There is a, another gorgeous, beautiful woman who randomly falls in love with Jay Sherman. Yeah, we'll have to and talk about is, that in a second. She and she is the film projectionist um, mm-hmm. at the movie theater where he does his research. Apparently, and she ends up, uh, you know. Proving to be an obsessed fan who does a full Kathy Bates on him. <laughs> yeah. And Jeremy Hawk has to has to swoop in and save him. <laughs> um the, yeah. it's it's kind of revealing the the regularity with which he gets into these beautiful woman relationships. It's it's revealing in a couple of ways. First, when I think the first episode that I saw, which is where he like dates an actress whom is just a terrible actor and so he's against his own ethical concerns as like critic yeah. critique yes. person critic person uh in that episode the actress has a conversation with Margot, wherein Margot's like okay so what are you trying to get out of him like this 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 sort of cutting remark of like no one just dates my brother yeah they're all they're always looking for what they can get out of you know, being with a, a, a big icon. Also, the fact that he it almost exclusively dates beautiful women. I don't know. I don't know enough about John Lovitz to, like, judge. <laughs> but it, it does feel like kind of him putting his thumb on the scale of, like, the only women that I date are all beautiful, but they're all traitors. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit weird, but it's also not surprising given how, like... <clears throat> The show has some some good jokes to it and some good scenario development, but it is cleaving very close to just what a sitcom was in the '90s and early 2000s. Like yeah, every single Re- show revolving door of dateables was, is pretty sitcom. Friendly. And also, just like fat comedian with beautiful wife is in everything. <laughs> <laughs> Even King the Simpsons had a couple there. episodes where, like, ooh, the seductress, the you know, the new lady at work seducing Homer. It's like. Sure. Oh, with that okay. with, with that heavy, with that heavy <laughs> but, metal video at the end. But but what? But something that other shows don't have is son of fat comedian dating Fidel Castro's granddaughter. See, now, I don't now this that. is a new direction. 
This is <laughs> expanding the media. Walk us through this, Dan. The, the second episode of the first season. Uh, Marty falls for a Cuban, uh, Cuban girl who goes to uh, his school, which is the UN school, which is like this, this big joke at like international... Um, like all the different countries are represented. It's, it's just supposed to be a joke on the UN. Sure. Um, yeah. Falls in love with a Cuban girl who eventually is revealed to be Fidel Castro's uh, granddaughter. He goes on a trek to track her down after they have a breakup and he ends up going to Cuba yep. <laughs> to, to find her. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a sitcom. Yeah. Simpsons episode to me. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's, yeah, true. It, it's just. The construction of it is is just weird because to me it seems like a lose lose, right? Because like if you have your main character suddenly dating a beautiful woman, um, and she's perfect and flawless, but falls in love with this guy anyway, that feels weird and kind of sexist. But then if she turns out to be crazy axe murderer, that's also kind of <laughs> like like yeah, what's the goal? I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know how much of it is just, like, the constraints of the sitcom formula requiring it to happen. I I kind of also like the notion of he wants someone... Like, it, it goes back to his miserable personal life. Sure. His job is such that he can't actually connect to people on a meaningful level without there being caveats. And right. I think Beautiful Woman is just, like, the shorthand for, hey, this is a thing that you could have if your career was not such an albatross around your neck. Mm -hmm. And I think it is worth pointing out how Bojack Horseman does this kind of same thing, which is... He nicely gets around that with all the owl people, yeah. Yeah, well, part of it is, you know, the the, the one-night stands are because, okay, he is famous and he's fine with leveraging that and they all know what this is. And then the other relationships are like, oh, they take place over a longer period and you can see him kind of learn to develop feelings and then self-sabotage, right? It's all, it's being driven in a way that like you kind of understand the the methodology before it. It's not just women are wacky. And I think your point is more that like it's Bojack's problem. Yes. That usually causes that. Like Jay Sherman, he doesn't really contribute to the, much to the, Mm -hmm. To, to, to the downfall of these relationships, it's always like uh, there is. I don't know well, about that. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> but, but also like other than um, his second season love interest, mm. Alice. Yeah, uh, it's kind of like there is something wrong that is sort of the upshot with the woman in those relationships. Like in the pilot, the, the episode with the bad actress. I mean, in the end. Even though, like, their relationship really seemed genuine up to a certain point. The punchline is when Jay Sherman speaks truth and is like, okay, this was a bad movie and she gave a bad performance. Yeah, she actually does, like, slap him and, like, turn on him. Yeah, women are fickle. Yeah. Yeah, women are fickle. Same with the miserable one. I mean, it, like, couldn't just be a normal relationship that Jay Sherman could have. It's got to be a crazy person who wants to harm him like stuff like that i don't know it's that's that's interesting i had a completely opposite read of the pilot episode really because yeah because i i thought that the fault kind of was more with jay on that i mean like maybe not maybe fault is a kind of strong word but yeah he holds his position as critic in such reverence and he like most of the fights that he has with his editor is like i don't want to say that this was good because it was bad Mm -hmm. uh 
And that kind of his weirdly strong ethical foundation is something that he 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 can't compromise on. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, I, I can imagine the person who finds the perfect relationship lying in their media criticism job in order. Like, I don't know that that kind of read to me as he was a little unwilling to compromise his career in order to have a fulfilling personal life. That, that's how I read it. No. Something like that. Yeah, or, okay. or like he, he had... thought too highly of himself to dim- like, I, I thought he maybe thought of himself as like more important or more beyond like above the law mm. or that's I don't know. fair. I mean, it's not like uh, movie critics have too many ethical duties that they need to like <laughs> but, choose, yeah, but he, choose this over love. It. Tr- I think he treats it he so treats much more it. seriously he than does. the world does. Because it's all he has. He, it's not like he's shown to be a moral paragon in general, right? No. no. Like, not a paragon. Yeah, no. that's true. Th- this yeah. is this is kind of why I like found his interactions with his family so interesting. Is because like he's it's not like he's a great person. He's just average, and the people around him are shitty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that, that is broadly true. As somebody who is going to be in those high society circles, will find themselves like just being average is kind of a win. And that's why I think it's like it does seem a little bit Jay's fault when things go wrong is because, dude, you've you've landed this amazing situation with the money and the beautiful women and all that, and he's just like not really putting in a lot of effort, like to make him like. I don't know. I don't know exactly how to frame it, but he just feels very average for all the good things that are happening to him and all the bad things that he insists upon himself. Yeah, I, I kind of thought of it as broadly speaking, this is what the New York limelight lifestyle does to a person. Mm-hmm. It is all high highs and low lows, and the person themselves can be average in spite of that. Um, it doesn't prevent you from having those high highs and low lows. I think that I'll grant you there are a lot of misogynistic takes <laughs> by <laughs> Jay Sherman's character uh, to the people he dates. But but yeah, I, I like the inclusion of Alice in the second season. I think that uh, grounds him and kind of gives him a new like baseline space to experiment with. Yeah. Um, it does not stop the random <laughs> one-off engagements with random women. <laughs> No, it doesn't. Although it does become part of the story, uh, mm-hmm. like the, the the one episode where um, Jeremy Hawk's sister gets involved in uh, mm-hmm. the show, uh, that that is that kind of sets it up as okay. Now Jay has like a legitimately like good possible you know interest here in Alice, and then here comes this another beautiful possibly like written into the show kind of like you know. Yeah, compromised yeah. person, and it's it's like he he then has to choose, but he chooses wrong for a while because right, he does kind right. of yeah he he does uh, he 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 does pursue the the gorgeous one night stand kind of a situation for a bit, but yeah I, I guess it gives him the that that fits with his character though like yeah. not not because he's so superficial, but because that is what the critic lifestyle yeah. has kind of geared him toward expecting maybe yeah Yeah. or or just that like he he doesn't really know what he wants right he spends all day looking at the choices other people make and saying good or bad Mm -hmm. and mostly bad (laughs) and mostly Mostly bad bad. 
And so when it comes to his own life, really all he can do is criticize, right? Yeah, he's kind of, it's interesting. He's he's sort of a passive observer of his own life. Mm. Whereas like in BoJack, and this is just going to be the, you know, that's just what we're going to be Here's relating everything today. to. <laughs> that's all. That's it's all, weird it's that, that it wasn't The Simpsons, like but. It's that in Simpsons. I don't know. I feel like this has a ton in common with BoJack mm-hmm. that makes it a cogent comparison. In BoJack, we're kind of meeting BoJack at the moments of crisis in his life. In the critic, we're kind of just <laughs> looking at his day to day, and that, right. that it is yeah governed right from the intro sequence, which is just you know him doing his you know his 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 wake up routine, going and doing the regular thing, and then going to sleep. Like it shows us a full day of Jay Shermaning, mm-hmm. and it's all pretty banal. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, although I mean, when he goes to work, he has to deal with some really. I some of my favorite wacky characters like oh, yeah let's yeah. let's get into Duke Duke Phillips Charles <laughs> it, voiced by the great late Charles Napier <laughs> can you remind me who this it was he that this was his producer editor he's, I don't know how he's that. he's the boss he's the he he's like the Ted Turner character who runs the company that puts on. Uh, coming attractions with Jay Sherman. Oh, so he's, he's like the he's like the stern lifeguard. Yeah, yeah. So, but he he does everything. Yeah, he does kind of act like the producer, and he runs the place. And it's a you know he sells chicken and waffles and biscuits. He keeps buttered biscuits in his pants, and you know, it's <laughs> he, what a he, what a wacky guy. <laughs> he, he he is he, he is the ultimate like power mad tycoon. Mm-hmm. And also the, um, an episode where he runs for president, which hits very differently in twenty twenty two. Sure. There was a there was a joke that I, I I didn't write it down, but I noted it because I it just hit me so perfectly, which is um Jay was like ne- renegotiating his contract after he got fired, but then became a big deal again, and he wanted to get hired back. So mm-hmm. Duke says, "Would this work for you?" and uh, and Jay is like. Well, how much do you think my pride is worth? Oh, wow. That's it. To the penny. <laughs> <laughs> like, this guy is just hyper-confident yep. at being the everything That's boss. true. Yep. Yeah, uh, I, yeah I, he, I, he's a fun performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like seeing the, like, wackiness that he has to deal with at work. Like, this, you know should be kind of heightened compared to his normal day-to-day life. Um, it's a little excessive, but yeah, I, I like it well enough. Yeah, I, I think it's just, you know, there's a there's an element of this show that is just, I'm walking here. <laughs> <laughs> there's an element of this show. Can you that thought? It, Please it just, do. I know what hey, you mean. <laughs> hey, ain't New York fucking weird? Mm-hmm. It is is a, a big overriding part of the comedy here. We, we we have barely touched on. I think you could consider New York City is a character in this. Oh show. yeah, that's a great oh. that's a great and yeah. unique point, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank I you. I guess let's let's, let's I'm, talk I'm very about creative. that briefly. I'm very yeah. creative. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, but no you're, you're right because it is kind of just about okay so here is this character who is experiencing new york and is part of the, like the new york media scene you know yeah so like that it is very much about like i don't think that you could 
set Jay Sherman anywhere else. There's one episode where he goes to Hollywood and he, you mm-hmm. know, it's just, you know, that I'm glad that was only for one episode. Because <laughs> <laughs> Was that yeah, the uh, Siskel and Ebert episode? Uh, no, that was when he was hired to write Ghost Chasers 3. <laughs> because he and the and the reasoning being that because he despises sequels and he hated Ghost Chasers 2 so much, then who better to like <laughs> sit down, okay, you have all these insights into what makes a terrible sequel, write us a good one. And it just ends up that, being that, Hollywood crap anyway. So that that sequel, gets back into you know. the whole um him having very high-minded ideals about his own profession. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Um, yeah, I, I do think that they are... It's it's an indissolvable element of the Jay Sherman character is how much he is a creature of New York City. Like, I, I, do, not, I do not think they, they are separable to any appreciable degree. Like, the, 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 way, the way he kind of dates uh, high-profile socialite people, the way he interacts with random people on the street, or his boss like that it all just reads as very new york a lot of just the comedy is pretty hokey you know cab drivers can't speak english kind of kind of stuff uh which which that is kind of the part of this show that age is the worst for me the stand-up comedy about hey ain't new york city kind of weird yeah but the parts that are all jay sherman's character externalized i thought were kind of on the money yeah like the the high highs and low lows of such a uh huge and diverse city as new york city um like jay is of that there there's a scene where um somebody's asking him like hey do do you have uh time to you know come by or something and he looks at his schedule and it's like nine o'clock manic ten o'clock depressive <laughs> 11 o'clock manic yes. 12 o'clock depressive <laughs> Have either of you seen um, Irresistible? No, no, I have not. It's the, um, it's the uh, uh, John Stewart produced, I think, or written or directed. Some, John Stewart was somehow behind it, and hmm. it's Steve Carell as a uh, Democratic consultant going to the the to 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 like the the Corn Belt and hmm. trying to get like a salt of the earth pe- person on his side. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's all kind of about how silly these washington people look when you put them in just some random place uh-huh. <laughs> and just him ordering people around and talking down to all of his staffers and like being very specific about like his orders like get me a caprese salad <laughs> with this much balsamic and you know just kind of the pampered nature of somebody who has grown up in that washington environment yeah and how it just does not map on to any other lifestyle. Yeah. I think I think I would like to see the Hollywood episode because I feel like there would be a lot of good Jay Sherman does not belong out like he doesn't he can't live outside of that swamp. No, like he, he, he wouldn't be able to breathe the air. And I I think that's kind of why he works as the world's most average man because like when you are are watching something like that where oh we have this, you know, rich uh, powerful high society person interacting with you know these salt of the earth you know very very uh you know parochial people the average viewer of this is able to like think of themselves as better than both of those 
Yeah, yeah we, we think we're better than the bellboy and the John Lovitz that is talking down to the bellboy. It's right? great. Right? Like, uh, you know, you watch Caddyshack, you know, the, oh, the snobs versus the slobs. And it's like, oh, man, I'm I'm not as uptight and, you know, superficial as those guys. But, oh, man, I at least know what a coaster is. <laughs> like <laughs> these South Park stereotypes. And the thing is, because, down on. because you can hit both those extremes most people are somewhere in there and they're going to feel like they're right in the middle, but most yeah. people are not right in the middle. <laughs> Nobody's ever right in the middle, no. no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I I think we're kind of rounding out characters. I think that Jay Sherman's character is wonderful and I actually think I loved all the time that I spent with him. Like, the, the parts of this show that I didn't like were mostly the Family Guy cuts, and that's sort of it. I think the rest of this show really worked on me. So uh, Dan Caves, you know, your your uh, reverence for this past property, uh, you, you got to vote for me. Like, I, I think that it's well earned. Well, there you go. I'm happy to hear that. But also not, not necessary for anyone to like this show because I definitely like oh. it is very much a snapshot in american culture that like we're it, all the same age yeah, so it just yeah. kind of would be pretty easy to map onto my taste it, it takes yeah. an episode to put yourself back in that headspace yeah. and then you can kind of go from there it's interesting though that you say that um that you like the character and the personal life stuff because uh this was the only animated appearance of siskel and ebert the famed critics yes uh they appeared in an episode as themselves um, and Jay was like both of their partners. They were doing like a love triangle kind of thing. Yeah, they had a breakup. <laughs> <They were laughs> it worked. <laughs> and they said that um, the show, that, like when they reviewed the show itself, they said it needs to focus more on movie parodies and Jay's work oh as a critic God. and not wow. get bogged down as another character driven slice of life show. <laughs> oh, I could not agree. I could not disagree more with that. Man, it, well, that just shows you. That just shows you what what the hell do critics know? I mean, <laughs> and this what is what do you expect and, from the man who put the Power Rangers movie in his bottom ten movies ever? Right? <laughs> Notice I the, can't trust that opinion. We, you ooze, you lose. <laughs> By the way, movie critics still a thing? Oh, I mean, everyone is. We have now. TikTok now. Everyone right? is. It's. I mean, uh, and th- that that point, Zane. Actually, that gets that gets kind of like. Yeah, what do movie critics actually contribute when you're actually trying to figure <laughs> out, like, the people know what's good, I think. And- uh, the, 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 the movie critics' main advantage is they get to watch a lot of movies, right? That's true. It's kind yeah. of like how priests before the printing press were able to interpret the Bible because nobody else could read it. They're the only game in town, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, printing press and, like, not having it in Lat- just in Latin. <laughs> well, you know, Latin is God's tongue. Yeah, that's true. Well. Uh, but yeah everybody's kind of a a, a critic now and everybody can put their opinions out on facebook or twitter or what have you and it's interesting like in the last 10 years of social media it's people now want quality we're not looking for those like 10 second sound bites or just somebody you know ooh, thumbs up thumbs down like we want yeah we uh, already have that we want like sustained from our phones we want like sustained video essays yeah. 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 So the role yeah. has really changed. It, it does make this entire show feel like a weird time capsule, mm-hmm. excepting that I, I think that the part that 
does stand up and continues to be relevant and holds up well is just I find Jay Sherman a very well-fleshed-out and uh, enjoyable character. I wonder what the hell Siskel and Ebert saw in the movie parodies. Well, yeah, because let, let's talk about what they are like. Can, can we can we talk about those specifically for a second? Let's the get parodies? some examples. The yes. parodies? Okay. So the, the movie parodies, they always just show trashy movies. This is the Family Guy cut thing that, I'm talk, that we were talking about. Yeah. Like, uh... Jay and Australian friend go and see a movie of, um, it's like Pinocchio, but instead of a, instead of a, a, a grasshopper, it's a roach, and the, uh, the thing that turns Pinocchio into a real boy is a Robin Williams genie-esque kind of weird magic bullshit that's happening and Geppetto is played by Arnold Schwarzenegger it's nonsense Schwarzenegger shows up at least once an he's, episode he, oh, yeah, yeah he was like the Dan Quayle of, <laughs> like it's just like it is a mortal reference of the 90s oh my god yeah that's yeah I mean there I have mixed feelings about the family guy cuts because I thought they were legitimately amusing as a kid mm-hmm. I'm not sure if they hit the same now and i think that you you do have a point there and like some of them i still think are some of my favorite parts of the show but they do get old like i think that and 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 i think that one of the things about the the parody uh clips is you got to give maurice lamarche work and so like (laughs) that that is true so the voice acting and, and the voice acting is very maurice lamarche heavy and like and Cassie, yeah, he did an everywhere. Orson Welles once. He does amazing Orson Welles, and like <laughs> those Orson Welles in July sketch. I was yeah. off my, I was off the fucking walls when that happened, Dan. <laughs> and, and like this show is where we realized how good he is at Orson Welles because like he is a recurring <laughs> jump cut character. Like he, uh, one episode where Jay Sherman goes back to, um, like he briefly goes back to uh, meet with a. Uh, film professor from his old alma mater and they are mm. uh discussing some of the uh more recent uh entries by orson wells and uh they did the frozen peas joke it's uh a, fro- a, a commercial for frozen peas where it's Zane, just like, i don't think yeah. we've ever referenced the frozen peas joke from uh from marisa yeah. no orson maybe, maybe we should call up nick to probably, have him explain it at length yeah probably yeah. put it in the show notes because <laughs> i don't think anyone knows what i'm talking about oh yeah yeah <laughs> Well, Google it, guys. Uh, and then, <laughs> Dan, we've we've talked about it every time we've had Nick on for an episode <laughs> because he and I both love it. That's fantastic. And like one episode, I love like, it. When uh, when um, the episode where Jay's parents are lost at sea, we get to see mm-hmm. that Orson, Orson Welles <laughs> did the introduction. Nonsense. He did the introduction to the uh, the Sherman's uh, video well. So oh, he, like, it's, yeah, yeah. So like some of those are just. I think like they're some of my favorite parts, but then like they're just too goddamn many of them. If you have Maurice LaMarche, I'm going to have a good time. They yeah. don't always have Maurice LaMarche and that's where it starts to fall off. Yeah. I think one in episode is a good enough kind of, they killed Kenny joke. Like yeah. just get in there, get out. We all know you have, you're contractually obligated to have one, an episode. Yeah. Make it a good one. Use the voice talent that is appropriate and don't belabor it. And that would make a lot of sense because every episode pretty much starts with Jay at work wrapping up an episode of his show. So sure. like it's the framing device. Yeah, you could just have that be the excuse for your movie parody. And yep. then 
like and we can have that seamlessly comment upon the particular theme of his life in that episode yeah 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 you, you can you can get those out of the way you can you can have a quick musical apocalypse now you can do the cockroach king <laughs> you can <laughs> honey i ate the kids <laughs> but you just yeah. space it out <laughs> Yeah, well, I think one of the problems with that, with the cutaway joke segue back into the real episode, is Jay is kind of holding up the whole thing. Yeah, this is a load-bearing Sherman. They figured it out better when they got to Family Guy, right? Because everybody is sending it to the segue, and there is no... Segway there's no back. Focal char- there's no focal character, really. Right, right. Jay has to carry that weight himself, and he has to do it within the context of a movie, which means that as a critic, he has to respond afterward. And his segues back, like sometimes he doesn't even make a joke. Sometimes he just like shakes his head and like, all right, moving on. And like, yeah, you don't even need that. It. I think that having it be the framing device for his whatever he's trying to talk about that episode, you know, have a have a weird rom-com with dinosaurs in it and have that dovetail into his romantic exploits mm-hmm. or like have some sort of thing about fatherhood, have that dovetail into some, some, something about being a parent. Like it, it would be very easy to use that as a way to segue into whatever Jay Sherman is doing in that day or doing in that episode. Mm-hmm. I just, it, it does not seem like it always does that. It seems like it is, Hey, that's and then funny. a joke about bad yeah. movies. Like, hey, this is funny, isn't it? Ha! It's, it's just it's, it's a non sequitur. Hey, yeah. you yeah. remember scent of a woman? Here's multiple like here's multiple scents of multiple women. It's they, the Bath and Body Works. Like, so, and that's the thing. Like, some movies they got multiple ones because what the hell are you gonna do? Like, like scent of a jackass, scent of a wolfman. Like, but like, yeah, it it, it serves no purpose other than ha ha ha. Funny, and because they are all, funny Pacino impression. Yeah, yeah. And because they're yeah. all movie references, they have to be recognizable, right? So that the mm-hmm. audience gets it. Which means that they are extremely old hat, right? Like, yeah, yeah. the yeah. jokes if have you all been made that before. Schwarzenegger was an old reference in 2022. Boy, howdy! <laughs> this is going back at least a decade or two earlier than that for all mm-hmm. these references. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, I still so, caught most of them, but there were a few that were a little esoteric for me. Yeah, so I, I don't <laughs> mind the use of cutaways. I, I think it's just they're not very well crafted. I think it's still very early on in their use in this kind of show. Yeah, I suppose the technology had not been exercised to death in Family Guy at this point. Yeah, like like you know when you're watching a YouTube person and they like cut suddenly like in the middle of a word because it's funny to do so? Yes. That can be done really well, or that can be done really poorly. It's a matter of craft. Yeah, the timing of it. And it's being done better now than it was 10 years ago because we see a lot more of it because more people have their skin in the game because Mm -hmm. the cream has sort of risen to the top of YouTube, whereas previously it was just sort of any old chuckle fuck would put up videos and the algorithm hadn't weeded them out yet. Yeah. Um yeah, so this might have been sort of the same sort of evolution, but on a sitcom level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. That being said, it's not as egregious as Family Guy, so I I let it. It it was tedious a lot of the time, but not so much that I disengaged 
completely from the episode. It was just kind of like, I'll tap my foot until it's over. Minute territory. for minute, it's yeah. a pretty small chunk of the show. Yeah, it's it's a it small is. chunk of change. They're over pretty quickly. Yeah. It's just the yes. focus because, you know, that's the framework. That's his job, yeah. <laughs> and I guess in a meta way, it is really hammering home the point that Hollywood is trash these days. Mm. Yeah, uh, I mean, it or gets... those days. We only days. see the movies that stink. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, we, but those we only the, see they're the, the only ones worth talking about. Yeah. Uh, what do you say we segue into where the humor comes from? Mm-hmm. Because uh, a lot of it, I found. I mean, a lot of it's just the character humor. A, a lot of it is that kind of hacky New York people are in New York kind of stuff. A lot of it comes from regular people just being far too honest about their motivations. <laughs> and like, in the, in the way that people wouldn't be. And this is, like, the part that is very obviously you're looking at a sitcom because normal people don't talk like this. But I thought it was pretty funny. Like, um, Jay Sherman comes up to the, the guy who's outside the hotel door and he's like, Hey, did a beautiful woman leave my apartment? I wouldn't know. I've been drinking in the alley all morning. <laughs> just, just like, you know, okay. All right, <laughs> I, I don't know what the joke is here. It's just kind of like we're putting it all on the front page. Yeah, this... <laughs> uh, there are a lot of jokes kind of just very, um, I don't know. It felt Seinfeldian of just like people talking too frankly about their little idiosyncrasies mm-hmm. or the idiosyncrasies of others. But, uh, yeah, that that's where a, a lot of the humor came from for me. That's true. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know if this is an example of that, but uh, the job of the institutional film critic, the joke uh, Duke Phillips giving Jay a pep talk about his role in the company and uh, his job is to rate films. Not honest. Like, the joke is that you got to rate films on a scale of one to ex- like good to excellent. What yeah. if it stinks? That's what good is for. Like, <laughs> yeah, he says it like a threat. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, uh, like a drill sergeant. He's great. Yep. Uh, in a normal uh, real world situation, that conversation would have been far more subtle. But nope. Mm-hmm. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. Duke Phillips just being super honest with you. Yeah, it's that like, is exam- an example of what I'm talking about. Yeah. Your, your job is BS, and I'm going to tell you exactly how it needs to work. Like, that's, yeah, that's. Yeah. Yeah, that that is good. Maybe uh, it's just because I really enjoyed the character of Duke Phillips, though. I loved Duke Phillips. He is legitimately <laughs> one of my favorite parts of this. And I, I, I hope that if you ever go back to the show uh, to watch more episodes, like, um, I, I and, and like, he's he's just such a such a great part of it. But I will say, um, I'm not sure if the fat jokes aged terribly well because a lot of he's, humor. He's not even that fat. But yeah, yeah, that's true. But. A a, a lot of humor does come from um, playing both his and his son, Marty's, um, I guess, yeah, I I guess they would technically, I'm not sure what their BMI is, but but like those, those jokes, I'm not sure about um, if they would really go over well in 2022, but they're not also, I I didn't think they were particularly egregious. It was just something that struck me on this rewatching. It's been a while. they felt more as an extension of his self-deprecation than anything else. True. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they were it was so just kind of an expression of that whole vibe of his. You know, like the same so thing over... with the hair, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah. Bald. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
He's yeah, bald. That's the joke. His hair comes out of a can. Yep. <laughs> yep. And it's so over it's the top that it's not as offensive. Like, if he takes his shirt off and, like, uh, this beautiful forest. Like, if there's a beautiful forest. I don't think this actually happened, but beautiful forest scene, the birds, the deer, all that stuff. And he tries yep. to get in touch with nature and he takes off his shirt and they all bolt away. Like, that's the kind of thing that you would see here. And that's not per se a fat joke. That's just. This guy, who huh, am I right? Everything yes. about him. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, That's true. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let me let me put a couple of points of comparison here. In The Simpsons, you had Homer was a fatso. Mm-hmm. He wasn't the fattest. Like there was a Chief Wiggum and stuff, but I think most of the people just had that round shape. Like even Bart has like that sort of proto Homer belly, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, That's just kind of how boys are shaped in that show. Mm-hmm. With Family Guy, it was so much more aggressive. You know, Peter is like this, you know, is 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 much more blobular than Homer was. Homer was fat. Uh, Peter was... Monstrous. Mo- yeah, almost. Um, and, like, mm-hmm. that's not a dig at his weight. Like, he's just drawn more as, like, a puddle man. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And in The Simpsons... You had a full episode wherein Homer gets morbidly obese so that he can stay home from work. Right. Uh, so that he can you get on get on workman's comp and work from home or yeah. whatever. And that has a fucking moral. And it also has like, oh, there's there's here are the very real world costs of that lifestyle, I guess. And like, I'm not trying to put anyone down, but like, you know, Marge's like straight up. You're setting a bad example for the kids, and mm-hmm. I'm less attracted to you. Yeah, uh, this was yeah. a choice of his in the context of this. You like, in, 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 yeah, in that, epi- <laughs> in, but in the in in uh, in Family Guy, um, Peter is called sexy on a regular basis. It's completely forgotten about. That's just what the territory is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get kind of focused. So yeah, I think there just has sort of been this general trend of escalating the fatness of characters for the sake of visual humor. And actually, now that we're having this conversation, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. I actually yeah, think I actually think that there's at least one episode where, yes, a lot of humor comes from, you know, ha, these are fat people sometimes. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I'm talking about, I'm not sure if you saw this one, the one where um, Jay and Marty both go to uh, fat camp and Marty ends up losing all of the weight and gets they, they really just doing a meatballs thing and gets really cut. Yeah. And like gets really cut and really like now he's of a normal, healthy weight. And that is the world's cue to start treating him like he's a good person now. Like huh. he starts getting, he starts That's getting really good. Yeah, Holy it's self-aware. In fact, like this kind of gets to the moral of the of like, isn't Hollywood and isn't this like this industry so shallow and terrible, so vain? Yeah. Like Marty, Marty gets cast in the lead of the school play expressly by the very Hollywood-ish director um, because he's hot and attractive now, huh. and then. Yeah. At the end of the episode, Marty gains the weight back just in time for opening night, and the world turns on him again. Yeah. And so yeah. It, it is kind of being, um, it, 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 it's almost like calling out, um, I, I guess I would call it fat phobia. Uh, yeah. That's, that's out no, there no, the no, world. it totally yeah. is what it is. That, yeah. Like 100%. Yeah. But 
yeah, like I, I had almost forgotten about that, but now that we're having this chat, like that, that, that is kind of like it isn't just played for laughs. In fact, there is at least that episode where it is pretty, um, like, like the moral is pretty empathetic towards like accepting yeah. yourself and like just sort of being okay with, you know, just being okay with yourself and not letting the world sort of. Um, take advantage of you just because you know I, I but don't the know show I'm still has the here, fat jokes right they're still they're, it still they're, does they're still they're having there. it both ways <laughs> they are that's better than that's better they than are. only having the fat jokes i'm not though. saying like, it's i'm not if, saying if, it's bad i'm just curious how they squared that or how I they made like, that work i guess the way i think of it i think you were right on the money Zane, earlier when you were just like that's like an extension of his self-deprecate this is yeah, one exactly. of the ways in exactly. which he can gauge himself to be wanting yeah we're seeing the world one of the ways yes uh and he views it through that like you said dan that very vain critical uh you know film critic kind of lens where that it that prioritizes looks over everything else yeah and also to your point ben like in the simpsons homer being fat it's through the lens of well, Homer's a happy kind of, you know, well-meaning guy. So when Homer they, like, is sl- lazy, stupid, and fat, and fat is third. <laughs> the other two take priority. Well, I guess gluttonous like, kind they, of bleeds one into the other, but yeah. Like when they like slap him or force him to jog, and they're just like, yeah, I thought I could lose some weight, and they're looking at him like, it's like a lava lamp, or like he's smiling at the way that it moves. Like it's <laughs> As an adjective, it means something different in this universe than in The Critic. Yeah. But even, like, I think that the critic does it certainly better than The Simpsons. Like, it has that whole, this society is, is vain as hell, and that's, mm. like, problematic for the people in it because they internalize that shit. Uh, like, I'm not overweight by any means, but even my healthy weight has, let's say, blubber that registers as not a perfect swimmer body. And I was self-conscious about that for a long mm-hmm. time because that is not what is shown on the screen. Mm. So, yeah, I, I think that's a very textured point to have. I'm going to go watch that Fat Camp episode because that's very good. It, Sheesh. It, it is called uh, From Chunk to Hunk. <laughs> it's I wouldn't have been two. able to get that, yeah. It's in season um, thank two. Thank you for, yeah. for letting me know. The, the, <laughs> that's the, the titles of these episodes are, are very uh, Byzantine. They are. <laughs> um, do we want to talk about how the characters look in general? Because it's it's Simpsons adjacent. It's pretty, pretty Simpsons. Yeah, I mean, I I guess they have normal like that they have real world skin colors, but yeah, <laughs> right. the, that helps. The yeah. drawing style, jaundiced. yeah, the drawing style, and it just I can't even like it just looks very Simpson ish, and I, I guess that kind of gets to the. The fact that there were some Simpsons people who are working on this. Sure. Yeah. But like yeah, uh, notably Matt Groening, right? He put his name on this. Yeah. Signed <laughs> in big letters. He was like, yeah. let King George look at this. <laughs> Everyone should know that I had a hand in this project. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, everything that came kind of out of the Simpsons um, is close enough to merit crossover, right? Mm-hmm. Like Family Guy, Futurama, it all looks close enough together. I'm. I'm getting a lot of the feeling that I had with Beavis and Butthead do America, which is that Beavis and Butthead looks really, you know, pretty amateurish in comparison to King of the Hill, which would come later. And Beavis and Butthead do America is kind of that in-between point. Mm-hmm. So this looks like Simpsons, but just like 
a little bit more updated. Like, it's the newer model of Simpsons, almost. Because I think it looks a bit nicer than The Simpsons. Clean, right? But that might just... Yeah, it doesn't kind of have those hyper-saturated greens and reds that I kind of came to recognize in The Simpsons. Yeah, like a caricature artist would do? Almost. I I, I don't know. I I don't have the verbiage to state it very precisely. It's... uh, I don't know. I'm not sure what this means, but The Simpsons looks more cartoonish mm-hmm. like it does the the critic is animated but it's animating a, a a slightly less cartoonish version of the real world like everybody like people are proportioned you know in a realistic way people have realistic features but mm-hmm. it definitely has a, a look and a feel to it that's really hard to put my finger on it's just yeah, yeah it's, it's it's constrained right like the these are realistic looking people there is no room in the critic for the sliding scale of mr burns to bumblebee man like you yeah. can't fit <laughs> those don't fit here <laughs> zane what would you call that continuum if you had to use a single word the the burns bumbleonium <laughs> the bumble burns the bumble burns continuum yeah the continuum and out there in space beyond the orc cloud is the bumble burns continuum take off your shirt senor <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't feel good about that. <laughs> Bumblebee Man is 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 Hispanic. Okay, that, that's <laughs> no, the we joke. Don't. Well, we think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, they had that. Uh, they had that one episode where they that's they right did the, all the like one off characters, and they gave them like a two minute spiel in the in the episode of The Simpsons where they did the critic crossover. A star mm-hmm. is Burns. Mister Burns is like, get me Steven Spielberg, and they're like, he's busy, and they're like, fine, get me his like closest Hispanic non union equivalent, Stefan Spielberg. <laughs> <There you go>. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Oh yeah, that. I don't know. Since I, I, I know this is a non sequitur, but um, <laughs> throw it on the pile. Yeah, I might as well have it. I, I was when you were saying like looks. Simpsons looks more like a cartoon. This looks a little updated or looks more realistic. Something that still looks very animated, but not cartoonish. Do you guys know um, Mission Hill? I've heard of it? No. Mission Hill is kind of a. Um, it's, it's, it, it has a similar feeling of the New York is a character sort of thing that this has, mm. but instead of focusing on the elites, it focuses on like a struggling artist mm. and kind of his, his day to day. Um, it looks very different, like almost squiggle, squiggle motion, squiggle motiony kind of graphics. It, it is very stylized, it, uh, and it, like I, I think it was kind of a cult hit, but uh, never really rose to prominence. And that also looks animated without looking like a cartoon to me. Although they do That's have blue hair, but what are you going to do? That's interesting. Yeah, I actually I think that Mission Hill might have uh, appealed to you back in the day. I don't know how it is now. It's probably also kind of dated, mm-hmm. but it has... Well, it 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 has a joke that I, I I hope would appeal to you, Dan, which is like the main character struggling artist type um, has this cartoon. Like he's a cartoonist sometimes, and he like sends them into magazines. And the joke of it is just somebody holding up like a ham and saying that's so Kafka esque to the clerk. 
And then, like, that's the entire one panel <laughs> joke. Okay. <laughs> and I just could, everyone yeah. trying to decipher what it means for, like, the majority of the episode. Which is, it, that, that that is a very Kafka-esque joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm into it. That's so good. <laughs> uh, it also has a, uh, a cake song as the intro. There you go. The band Playing cake. Sofa. Okay. Yeah. Oh, sweet. I thought you were talking about, like, actual cake, but... It's a song about cake. Song, but no, oh, the, yeah, band. What's your band? Uh, What's your the band. Jonathan band Colton cake. singing uh, "Still Alive" the soundtrack <laughs> to soundtrack to uh, Portal. Um, speaking of music, the um, intro yeah. theme uh, also sounds a lot like New York, right? It has that uh, Rhapsody in Blue kind of sting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Very love. Noticeable. I love the critics' theme, composed mm-hmm. by Hans Zimmer. Yeah, yeah, and so. signed off on by Matt Groening. this is a very gentle Hans Zimmer piece (laughs) really is I I really Rhapsody in Blue is almost exactly the feeling that it's going for a little less industrial Mm -hmm. a little bit more yeah it's a it's a jazzy Rhapsody in Blue it it's clearly a uh, melody for the not the working man and not the elite but that guy in the middle going for a nice walk yeah personally I have pity on the working man yeah Pity's, pity's the right word. Yeah. We all should. It's a song, right? No, know. fanfare for the common man. No, no, ah. no. Have pity on the working man. Isn't that it? I don't know. I'm not sure what you're referring to, but Is I definitely sp- definitely know fanfare for the common man. Right. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I made a musical reference, uh, uh, Nick. I mean... Recognize I'm, me. It's always my worst. Su- like the audio rounds, always the worst subject for me at uh, like bar <laughs> trivia. So yeah. I, I, I oh, will, I thought you meant in the Carton Cast episodes. Oh, <laughs> like you're being graded. <laughs> like, uh, well, that too. I, I also have a that hard time too. with it. But the the main theme does so much of the mm-hmm. of the work of the music. Like, I don't yeah. think I reckon. I don't think I really even registered any other kind of music that was happening here. There wasn't much. I mean, there is a. Uh, there's like a kind of a fanfare leading into the show, so it's kind of like the bumper music coming back from a commercial break for uh, yeah. coming attractions. But and uh, like very occasional background music. But no, you're right. There isn't that much music beyond the theme and the they occasional. Had, um, they uh, had that uh, that one that one musical number. Well, yeah, they have the, musical for, numbers for, for like the for the cotillion episode or the debutante ball. That's what it was, um, where they had to like put on some sort of performance but it it really just registered as part of the plot and not part of the audio so yeah it's very much in the background same with i think it was in the was it in the first was it in the pilot episode uh beauty and the dork when they were having their beauty and the beast song when they're oh yeah i don't know yeah. And he like oh, sings yeah. it to himself. He's like, "Beauty and the Dork," and she's like, "What are you saying?" Oh, nothing, I, nothing. I'm just... I said, "I said, how useful is the spork?" <laughs> <You know? laughs> John, no other. So that's the other thing is like this, 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 the backbone, the spine, backbone, and all of the skeleton of this show depends upon unilaterally John Lovitz as a vocal performer, which I did not know he could do. Hmm? Yeah, he's that he's was got... very. Yeah, that was a very welcome, uh, welcome, welcome surprise. He's got a melodiousness to his voice, right? Like he has to carry the bulk of the plot and the jokes, and so yeah, he's got his voice has got to be interesting to listen to. Yeah, it's 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 cute. It's 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 uh, 
I don't know. He, he's he's this he's like a stubby little man with kind of gut and balding and this like kind of cute voice. Like he's such a mensch. <laughs> Big mensch energy. I I think every time I saw him with a woman who was taller than him, I'm just like, you know, in comparison, he is kind of adorable. <laughs> like, you know, he's he's kind of kind of a dopey little adorable goober, uh, and his voice really goes along with that. That. That mincing, nasally, and yet somehow still kind of honey in your ears sort of sort of tone. It's perfect for mm-hmm. a film critic, yeah. But oh, it kind of has to be, yeah. yeah. But Zane, yeah, I, but... I I almost wonder if some of your, uh, if maybe some of the the Simpsons connection also is in some of the voice acting, um, because mm. we do have Simpsons alums and Simpsons voice actors on this show. Um, sure. Doris Grau, so she plays the hairdresser for coming attractions. <laughs> so we have Lunch Lady Doris. Yep. Um, oh yeah. The that's uh, the same person. Yeah, it's the same. <laughs> no, I mean basically the, the same in, person in the fiction, except not. A, it is the same person. She just switched jobs, but she's doing the same thing. And a person can have different jobs. Yep. Uh, in this day and age, in this economy. <laughs> Um, Sherman, uh, Jay's sister Margot is voiced by, uh, Bart Simpson, uh, yeah, voice actor, yeah, yeah, Nancy yeah. Cartwright, like, like th- Nancy there's definitely, yeah. yeah, so like, uh, I even think that there's one throwaway character in one episode for a gag that is exactly, exactly, uh, oh, what is the name? The nerd. Millhouse? Martin. Oh, what? that's right. Yeah, yeah. There's so, a lot so like, of nerds in The Simpsons. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, but yeah, uh, like th- those voices, they remind you of The Simpsons because those are voices from The Simpsons, basically. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as it turns out. There's only so and, many voice actors on The Simpsons. Yes. What do you exactly. think it would have been like back then? Because like back then when Simpsons was still sort of in vogue and not encased in amber as like a high mark of comedy and society and it hadn't been replicated 50 billion times. Mm-hmm. These voice actors probably wouldn't have been as immortalized. I wonder how it would have sounded back then before it was just part of our collective consciousness that Nancy Cartwright's Bart performance is akin to this character. Yeah. 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 Hmm. I mean, they're they're all still clearly competent voice actors. The Simpsons was a smash hit for a reason. Um, but yeah, it's a... Uh, huh. I'm, I'm trying to think of other, like specific actors that i've grown up listening to and i'm I'm having trouble placing specifics most of the ones that i'm most familiar with now just because of the watchtower are like oh right justice justice league alums so like uh george newburn and um and uh who plays batman why am i blanking on this kevin um kevin costner conroy Conroy. (laughs) kevin conroy yeah you know that batman Mm-hmm. Look, it's a mask. Anyone could be behind that. Um, yeah, but like, like the music, all of the voice performance, with the exception of John Lovitz, and I do think that this is important, is all kind of background. Like, none, none of it is particularly <laughs> staggering unless it's John Lovitz or it's a joke line from like somebody who's very obviously supposed to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. That gets focus. Yeah, someone who's just you know, uh, who, who is who's just like someone that Jay Sherman is talking to does not get focus. So well, except I think for Duke, it, Duke can Duke can pull a bit. Right, right. For the real laugh lines, I guess it gets focus. But the rest of the time, you're supposed to be 
the, the same feeling as the plot. You're supposed to be looking at John Lovitz. You're supposed to be hearing John Lovitz. You're supposed to be interested in John Lovitz. Everything else is secondary. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. So, yeah, it's very intentional. Every piece of this is sort of pointing you toward John Lovitz. I should have I made a mental note of, like, where the camera is in reference to his height because he is short on the scale of people. And I wonder if... I, I, I guess, yeah, Zane, you're kind of giving me kind of a uh, a deep in thought sort of face of like, yeah, where was the camera pointing? No, where was Ben going with this? Like, <laughs> oh, okay. No, but like, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, like he, he looks like a normal person until somebody else is in the frame with him. Yeah, and I'm kind of <laughs> wondering if the camera purposefully pointed us a little bit lower than a normal shot would register in maybe The Simpsons. Yeah. You know what I mean? There, it's it, it's a lot more zoomed in than on The Simpsons. Simpsons, that's, there that's is what it a feels like. there is a home, right? There are locations which are consistent and that we have to recognize. Here, it's all Jay, right? And that's that's the intent. You're supposed to be looking at him, point the camera right at his fucking face. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Do we have any other thoughts? I feel like uh, we kind of hit hit most of the major points here. Um, I think that. Some of the jokes are, like, just because we're going through, like, the just pure um, dialogue bits. I I thought that a lot of the jokes, even though they weren't, like, particularly insightful, some of them are really funny to me. They are kind of can be hit or miss, especially, like, the, um, especially the bad movie parody humor but like some of the jokes that are just like people talking at each other and jay being in the shot they feel like i feel like the writers really tried to make them work um so like in the first interaction with him and his parents whom are real cuckoo bananas kind of people uh he uh his his dad says something kind of fucking weird and uh john lovett's uh character says to the actress girlfriend he had a stroke a few years ago and then the mom says, he didn't really. We just tell people that to explain his personality. Right. <laughs> Again, with just the people being far too frank yeah. as a point of humor. Yeah, his father is definitely, his, his entire joke is he says crazy, he says and does crazy things. Yeah. Right, but, and that's yeah. not that funny inherently, but the, the way everyone just sort of has this permission structure for him around mm-hmm. him is the funny part to me. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that this is a show that, if you grew up with it and you have nostalgia for those movies, it's probably going to hit better for you. And because it is such a product of the 1990s and of that particular point in American culture, I think that it's a show that is going to fade away as our generation dies out. I don't oh, yeah. think I don't think people are going to go back and watch this show in the future and like it will not hit in the same way as time continues to go on it's already been i mean crying crying out loud we're, we're going on 30 years that the show pretty is much, out pretty of date close. that's not yeah. a valid number of years well, yeah what do you that's... think is the modern equivalent of this just so to, to get a kind of <clears throat> snapshot understanding of it that's a good Cause, question because it's all about media criticism and that has that has just digivolved by leaps and bounds over the past few decades. Yeah, like yeah. It's, it's, it's not a, it's not a recognizable space for John Levitz to, <laughs> to be in anymore. Like he doesn't make sense in a in an era of Twitter. Yeah, like, yeah. 
earlier we were talking uh, briefly about how now it's about it's democratized to the point of it's just like you can find a YouTube video essay uh, yeah. that does you find exactly what you want. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can find and I'm not sure if there is anything like the critic right now to to, to really yeah. compare it to. I guess that a lot of a lot has been spoken of BoJack Horseman. And it that's doesn't... more about the plight of yeah. a, you know, yeah. high society socialite who yeah. can't exist anywhere else. And that's the, the a, tone that's and the about structure. It. The tone and the structure are there. I think in terms of like, if you're looking about what this kind of show says about the society that created it, um, and the way that it's obsessed with its own media, it is a lot weirder and larger and louder, and so like. Uh, Bojack is and so it's it's kind of emblematic of how much more signal you have to have to break through the noise I think that if you look at this show through the lens of media criticism it looks very quaint and I don't see it surviving Mm -hmm. if you look at it as kind of that irresistible Bojack Horseman high society socialite thing I think that it will still read because mm-hmm. that that aspect of our society has only uh, metastasized as time has kind of went on. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I think that 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 is still a relevant place to come into this. It's just like looking at a person in. I got a lot of Seinfeld vibes from this because, like, sure. the the way that Seinfeld is like this high profile person, but all of his concerns are so small and like particular to his lifestyle um it is just it's very I, I think that part of our celebrity culture is like that inherently mm-hmm. and i don't see that changing like we are addicted to celebrities celebrities have a very different lifestyle that we are all engaged with and pointing out the problems in that lifestyle for you know personal happiness like here or like bojack I think that's always going to read pretty well. Something that just occurred to me, um, I mean, it's I, I say that it's going to fade away into obscurity kind of just based on how it's packaged. But its criticisms of culture, I think, are in law, are enduring. Like we still have yeah. we still have the problems that Jay Sherman had with Hollywood <laughs> of the 1990s. Like they're still making uncreative sequels to things instead of coming up with new good movies. We like one of the, one of the most recent big controversies was like that episode that I told you about with the ghost chasers and him having to write the sequel. Are we going to do another ghostbusters? Like, like some of the stuff is still relevant. (laughs) Not too long ago. It's, it's not like a lot of the, a lot of the things about the show and like it's critiques of American culture they're timeless and they're still relevant, but the packaging is not. Yeah. The like packaging makes it look so weird because you have a feeling in this show that Jay Sherman is trying to speak truth to power and the truth is Hollywood movies are trash and that's just so obvious now. It, it's yeah, yeah. it's no longer brave to point yeah, that out. Yeah. It's no I, longer... And I'm sorry, Zane. Go on. No, uh... Well, that that's why I think the the aspect of this that ages the best is this person who has succeeded in society and is still miserable. That feels very relatable in modern society. Yeah, yeah, very, very, very capitalistic kind of kind of sentiment there. 
But I think that the show hits better if you can if you definitely get the references and like mm-hmm. those movies like you know yeah, they're still in the time water. marches you, on. You, they're still out you, there. You'll you'll you'll, yeah. you'll still feel you'll still find points of comparison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of the modern equivalent of uh, Schwarzenegger, and it's not coming to me. John Cena. <laughs> oh, there it is. John oh Cena. no, The Rock. The Rock. Oh yeah, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. You get you get the Rock's name out of your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and put John Cena back in it. Yeah, put yes. John Cena wherever he'll fit. Have, uh, Dan, have you seen any of the Peacemaker? No. With uh, the the one the um uh the DC c- cinematic universe tie-in uh to Suicide Squad uh featuring the quote-unquote superhero John Cena. No. <laughs> It's 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 just as ridiculous as you'd anticipate, but also surprisingly good. That's because all wow. of the criticism is toward John Cena's like man-child persona. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. It's a very Johnny Bravo type of type of experience. <laughs> we'll have to add it to my list. Well, thank you for bringing the credit to my attention, Dan. Let, let me just do my wrap-up thoughts on this. I think sure. that this is a great show. It consistently entertained me more than The Simpsons, and I will grant you that a lot of that is because all of the pop culture jokes read to me, even if they're not really why I'm showing up. It makes it go down easier. Uh, But I could also see bouncing off of it if you didn't uh, don't have that catalog. I have a lot of enjoyment for John Lovitz. Yeah, and he's a fun character. He's mm -hmm. a very fun person. And I don't have that catalog. Um, I don't think I really um, appreciate it for what it is. I appreciate it. I I respect it for what it was, uh, but it's a lot harder for me to engage with it because um, the parts that we said that we agreed were good are good. Um, I am less forgiving of the friction to get there. Yeah. That's totally, what do you think? That's what do you totally think? Fair. Coming back to it, what what looked better or worse in retrospect, Dan? What uh, are you happy to realize was just as good as you remembered, or the opposite of that? Well, it's kind of come out a little bit in our discussion here, and I've loved having a chance to really think out loud about what's good about the critic and what's not. Um, I do think that the the episode plots that focus on the characters, I think that those hit me much better this time. When I was younger, I was, you know, I was lapping it up for the movie parodies. I thought that those sure. were, I thought those were very funny. They were, you know, just brief you little snippets. had never seen them done before. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I always just found those jokes to be, you know, n- now looking back on them, I could probably come up with like, three or four of those parody clips that are actually kind of funny but mm-hmm. but now they just kind of seem a little a little forced sometimes yeah like they are going out of their way to be very silly and i, I don't know if those hit the same so i think um i still have nostalgia for all that and i think that that is my big takeaway here is that um the nostalgia that I feel for the show is probably what keeps me going back to it. Uh, but now I'm more developed as a human. I'm an adult. I have had a lot more experiences. And so I feel like I relate to the actual plot devices a lot more. Mm-hmm. 
and those movie parodies are now much less important and a little distracting at points. Also, yes. God bless Maurice LaMarche for just like he he, he is he's is just one of the best <laughs> voice actors out there and I don't think I can yeah. I I don't think inherently I can dislike a show that portrays Maurice LaMarche doing the Orson Welles peas in July thing. Like yeah. I, I think that once you've done that you've you've got carte LaMarche yes to uh <laughs> flawless <laughs> <laughs> to do whatever you want. <laughs> All uh, right. But yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show to talk about this. I'm really happy that you guys took uh, took the time to check the show out and I'm you know just uh, yeah, we relish any opportunity to see you. Absolutely, Indeed. and like I said, really great to have a chance to really think out loud about the show instead of just you know consuming it. Sure. So, yeah, yeah. I, I'm so glad to have a a, a, a prehistoric Bojack <laughs> in my in my in my well. You know, like that's that's I was I was pleasantly surprised by how much I got out of this as a reference point to both The Simpsons and Bojack and. Weirdly enough, irresistible. But uh, and I do think that you would enjoy watching that, Dan. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, the the one with um, Steve Carell. Okay. As uh, as as the uh, Democrat consultant in the I'm sure in I the would Corn love. Belt. I'm sure I would really. <laughs> I'm sure I would really get something out of that. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff too. that I'm like, oh yeah, that's a Dan Caves kind of joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, this was really fun. Thanks for coming on. Uh, it it is good to see your tastes beyond the horror purview. Yes, absolutely. They are excellent. Thank yeah. you for saying so. Yeah. Well, uh, anyway, that was our show. Thank you for joining. Uh, next time, say yeah, ask ben, me what we're gonna do. Ben, what uh, what are we gonna do next time? Will it next have time. the same level of biting criticism toward modern society? Modern, like, so that's a hard question to answer because I don't know what time period this particular thing is supposed to take place in. So it's, a it's between weird... 150 years ago to 150 years in the future. Yeah, that's Some, about right. Somewhere yeah. in that range. Somewhere in there. Uh, we're going to be watching the anime Trigun. Yeah, I, I uh, watched an episode of this. It's a lot goofier than I was anticipating. <laughs> yeah, it's very goofy for a, like... Something that was in the same era as a Cowboy Bebop that was also kind of a, like, you know, Western sort of... Uh, I, I looked like it up. Space, it premiered space. the same week. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's it's a very different aesthetic. Zane, believe it or not, the character Vash the Stampede used to be a huge fucking deal in anime circles. People no loved Vash the Stampede. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what about that blonde mohawk really caught people's attention, but uh, we'll talk about it. Yeah. Uh, and Zane, what are we doing after that? Uh, well, Ben, um, I recently visited a friend of mine who has a small child. And uh, when uh, you have a small child, apparently you just have the TV on all the time. And kids TV, Ben, there's some interesting stuff going on nowadays. Yes, 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 yes. Give me something uh- stupid. Uh, we're gonna. I couldn't look away, and they had musical numbers, and they yes. had colors and shapes, and they had oh, education. Yeah. We're you gonna watch like that. Storybots. Another fucking robot child show. The the, the it is it, it is not bot forward. It is it is story and fun forward. They just they need an excuse for why these are just simple shapes and colors. Are you are you telling me it's story in the front and bot in the back? That's exactly what I'm telling you. It's, like it's it's a it's a bot mullet. 
these may as well be Pac-Man ghosts for all their shapes and colorsness. <laughs> they're just round. Well, okay. They're just round friends who tell me about recycling. All right. Well, I, as long as they're shiny, they can be round as they please. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll, I'll look forward to that nonsense. Um, if you want to talk to us about either bot friends or Trigun, <laughs> you can go to our website at fancybat.com slash cartoncast and drop us a line there or suggest a show to watch. Uh, and we will be a critic to that. Yes. Um, if you can also go to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating review. It really helps us out and it validates our existence. And more than anything else, please tell your friends about the show. Dan, do you have something to uh, lead out of this uh, of this review with? It stinks. Classic. Classic. Put, put that what on you're a telling them about mode. our show. This show does not stink, though. So tell your friends that the Carton Cast does not stink, but it is the show where you can go to listen to the show of the man who thinks that everything stinks. And if you can make and that then sentence when they ask make you sense, why you're, why you're that, that's that yeah, that's a very '90s era limerick you've constructed there. <laughs> True to form. We've taken.